0: This is Dr. Karen, and you are listening to the DeFacto Leaders Podcast, where I help pediatric therapists become better leaders so they can make a bigger impact with their services. On this show, I'll share up-to-date evidence-based practices, my own experiences, and guest interviews designed to help clinicians and educators feel more confident in the way that they serve their caseloads, so they can help school-age kids grow up to be successful, kind, well-adjusted people. Hey there, it's Dr. Karen, and welcome to episode 98 of the De facto Leaders Podcast. In this episode, I have special guest. Valerie Doherty, who is a speech language pathologist with over 35 years of experience and who is a published children's book author. I thought she would be a great guest with her years of experience in the publishing industry because I know that a lot of my listeners are always interested in ways that they can use their clinical skills to serve clients and also to find creative ways to advance in their career and develop additional income streams and just have a creative outlet. There are a lot of good options for publishers these days, there are sites like Etsy and Teachers Pay Teachers, but I wanted to have Valerie on because she has gone the traditional publishing route and I thought she'd have some great insights into the whole publishing experience. So we get into all of the stages of the process in this interview, from coming up with the inspiration and the idea, to navigating copyright and trademark and all of the legal things as well as working with the publisher and an illustrator and thinking about marketing. So, I know that you'll really enjoy this interview if publishing a children's book or really any book is on your bucket list. I thought that she would be a great guest because I thought that the way that she is using her skills is a great example of creativity and leadership. Before we get going in the interview, I wanted to share a brand new guide that I just created. As I talk to more school leaders, it has become very apparent that many school-based mental health behavior management, and social skills intervention, neglect a set of essential skills, that skills being executive functioning. So this is obviously not the fault of the teachers or the therapists. Really, it's that the people who are supporting kids need accurate information and support in order to be able to support kids. So I aim to solve this problem with this free guide. So inside this free guide, you will learn how to improve students' social relationships and their ability to regulate their emotions and how to do this when behavior management and social skills groups aren't working. I also talk about why talk therapy falls short for many kids with anxiety and what to do instead. I want to be clear that I am not making a blanket statement and saying that talk therapy is never appropriate, but I am saying when executive functioning issues are at play, talk therapy is not going to be an adequate solution. We need to have supports in context in order for that to be effective, and if we don't, those issues with anxiety that stem from executive functioning issues are not going to get better. In this guide, I also share how school clinicians can support mental health, resilience, and independence in kids, and how they can lead their teams in doing this, even if they aren't in a traditional leadership role. And I share in this guide what everyone's role is in supporting executive functioning specifically in the school setting but also across the board because i do address how parents and students can play a role as well so to download this free guide you're going to want to go to drkaren dudekbrannon.com backslash ef schools again that's drkaren dudekbrannon.com backslash ef schools so now please enjoy this interview with SLP, and published book author, Val Doherty. All right, today I am joined by Val Doherty, speech language pathologist and book author. So thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you, Karen, for
1: having me. I'm so delighted to be here.
0: So I thought we could just start off by um, by having you tell us a little bit about yourself and where you've gone in your career, and then we can get into discussing the
1: publishing world. Okay, happy to do that. Well, I'm a longtime speech path. I uh, practiced for a lot of years, and I uh, did my undergrad work at the University of Nebraska in Lincoln, and then I did my graduate work at Champaign-Urbana. And uh, I started out um, in uh, rehab settings and did some public health as well and had the uh, privilege and opportunity to work with a wide variety of patients in those settings. And then I uh, went into the schools where I had a, a long-time uh, experiences across a number of settings. And then uh, I went into, uh, administration and I, uh, because of my own professional interest in language and literacy, I did, uh, continue some educational work with, uh, getting additional certifications in both learning disabilities, general ed, birth to grade three and, uh, um, administration as well. Great.
0: So what, obviously, uh, one of the things that we wanted to talk about today is that you are a published author. So when did you start doing that and what inspired you to start doing that kind of work?
1: Well, I published uh, self-published a, a first book in, back in 2011. And because of my uh, professional interest in language and literacy, I really... Um, wanted to do some work in that, and uh, I, like I mentioned, attended the University of Nebraska in Lincoln, and so I wrote a football book, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that is called Husker Game Day, and I had approached a publishing company that was very well versed in um, how to acquire uh, trademarks and uh, licensing agreements with the university. And I didn't know much about that, but they certainly did and guided me down uh, that path in the right direction. And then uh, it was one of the initiatives of that university that is early childhood as well. And so it seemed to be a, a perfect marriage of those interests with uh, the language and literacy, the school and my own, uh, you know, I'm a football fan as well. So it it worked out and it was a, a lot of fun in the university. Yeah has been, uh, terrific, um, to me. I had a couple signings and then, um, the, um, Alumni Association had asked about, um, you know, acquiring some of those books for, um, I believe they sent them out to some young kids that were in a, uh, group with, um, parents as well. So um, yeah, it was a terrific first experience.
0: Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting because a lot of the people who, a lot of the SLPs now, if they want to publish a children's book or create resources, they'll do something like Teachers Pay Teachers. And, and that's great as well. It's uh, an easy way to get your work out there. But what made you want to pursue kind of the the traditional route?
1: well I you know i I looked at um all of those pieces together and I had done some background uh information and and there certainly are a lot of paths to publishing and that that is certainly true one can uh self-publish now and even more so I think than those twelve years ago or whatever it was you know there are certainly more options that mm-hmm. one can go traditional there's hybrid situations I'm in a A current situation with the most recent books where I had uh, hired an illustrator already. And then she, as we work together, um, suggested another uh, company, but there are such a um, number of different paths that people can go right now, including, but not limited to self and as well as traditional.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think what, for me you know as navigating this world as well that a lot of times people go the electronic route because then you don't have to think about physical products and and actually shipping and like you said an, an illustrator that's actually going to make a paper book so it it seems a little bit easier to just put something online via PDF but definitely takes more work when you're thinking about a physical book but it's so needed. I mean, kids need something they can physically hold in their hands and look at,
1: right? And we have, don't we, so much research out there, and how mm-hmm. our own field we're so much involved now with um, the literacy piece. I think so. It's um, you know, I did some practice and in early intervention too, and so all those things with the the tangible product with the little ones during those EI visits too. They, you know, get the whole. Um, feel of a book and the left right progression mm-hmm. and all the, things that the books can offer uh, our very young patients and clients and our own families mm-hmm. so how many books have you written up until this point let's see One, two, three, four, six, one two three four uh six I guess it's six Great. Yeah. so the second one I did you know I I' done a little study on um you know, kids that don't particularly like reading, and it's a bit of a struggle for them. So on the second one, I I continued that sports theme, and I had, um, because I grew up in the Midwest, and I had attended the College World Series um, in Omaha as well, I decided to write that second one um, about the College World Series. So that was really nonfiction, and I wanted to see how that might go. And the whole event, I was so taken by that whole event that I did that one about the Mm -hmm. the baseball. And, you know, I thought it might have appeal to, you know, a different set of kids, a little bit older. And um, so that one was fun, too. So that was the same kind of situation, though. I had to have some uh, assistance with um, licensing and trademarks with the NCAA and the use of the logo and uh the venue and you know um all of that was supported by the company that i had mentioned before that knew how to navigate the licensing and trademark agreement so mm-hmm. I, I simply didn't have any knowledge at all i yeah. knew i knew yeah. that you know that you know if, if i said i want to you know since we live in illinois and i'm a big bears fan if i said oh gee i guess i'll do a bears book today you know you really can't go ahead and do that without permission to the the right people, you know, mm-hmm. so that, um, like I said, it was that one company that really, um, uh, knew how to do that. And I believe the owner was, uh, an attorney and, uh, had a lot of, uh, knowledge about all of that. Yeah. For both the, both those beginning books. So, you know, if anybody is thinking about that, you know, those are the things that one has to know about legally. And as I've gone down this, uh, path a little bit more. And, you know, I continue to take more writing classes, too. So, you know, that you want to improve in the craft. But, you know, the legal things that you may or may not know about or think about, it's it's something to uh, pursue if you ever want to use um, specific names or companies or sports teams or any of that. You know, I just did not have that background or knowledge base.
0: Yeah, that is something that I see um, where it, it, it's confusing, and especially when I see things being shared online. And you know, I can think back to you know being in the schools and people are photocopying and sharing things. And it, we don't come from the background of understanding intellectual property and the legal side of things for that specifically. Yes, we get the compliance side of healthcare, but not necessarily business, marketing, trademark, all of those things. So, yeah.
1: That is true. And I just recently, you know, because I currently have a a contract um, for the books that I'm most recently published with a different company. Now I had a a contract, signed a contract with them. So, um, you know, that you have to have some kind of knowledge of before you go signing and, you know, how one can then uh, use certain things or, you know, all those things that you you're right. You don't know much about intellectual property, but um, that you you learn after mm-hmm. you, you do something, and um, you know, that has uh, happened. So I belong to an, uh, an organization now and uh, Authors Guild that. In case any of your listeners ever go down that path or, or want some uh, legal expertise for those individuals that are particularly skilled in intellectual property, that uh, has been very helpful to me to be a member of that organization as well, the Authors Guild. The Authors Guild.
0: So, what mm-hmm. are the things? Obviously, we won't, this is a very involved topic which requires expertise and lawyers and all kinds of people who can advise you in getting those contracts and navigating those agreements but if we could kind of go down a list of things that you want to think about and ask those professionals so we have things like you mentioned that so if you wanted to do a book about the Chicago Bears that's their intellectual property you have to get permission for that um what other things came up for you that you maybe didn't realize or were just things that you had to think about from because we have the using other people's intellectual property but then also protecting your own intellectual property both of those two things what came up for you with those types of things
1: well I'll start with the first book because I um you know that was my school and I knew that I would need uh permission for you know the helmets, the uniforms, and I i can't uh, draw. So there was a an illustrator, but this um, company that did that first book, those first two books that involved, the you know, so many of those licensing and trademarks things, they knew how to do that. They approached the institutions and um, talked about that and got the permission. So that was good. And then if one would have used any, songs or you know their fight songs which I didn't you know but that would be also something else if you used anybody's fight song in or lyrics from that were already protected and written by somebody else that would be mm. another okay layer so I I didn't you know those were just the images and so I um they connected on that particular project that first book Husker Game Day. They connected me with uh, a couple different illustrators showed me their portfolios and you know what kind of um, images do you want and you know do you want it more cartoon like and and honestly I just you know hadn't thought about all of that so Mm -hmm. I learned so much from the illustrators because they too of course have a variety of styles and it was you know, do you want cartoon characters or do you want more lifelike people? And we went with the more lifelike on both those first books. Um, and, um, but, you know, those kinds of things that, oh, and what color combinations? Well, the color combinations weren't so much an issue because you you knew what the uniforms were like. But, you know, uh, the venue, too, you know, in terms of the logos, you know, there, there's a block in and then, at the first, there was a reprint on this book, which the first one was, uh, I don't quite remember the dates, but it's, you know, the Huskers. And then there was a change on the logo for the second print run. So one had to go through the approval and, uh, again, the process of that because the logo had slightly changed. Mm-hmm. So all those things, <laughs> yeah. with the slight change. And there's fair use, you know, which I'm learning now. Uh, if any of your uh, listeners would ever think about joining certain organizations, I belong to a couple, you know, Society of Children, Book, uh, Society of Children, Book Writers and Illustrators, in addition to the Author's guilds, where they have all these ongoing seminars about, you know, all these topics beyond the contracts, if you ever, you know, have contracts. But it's you know, use of certain things, uh, use of, like I mentioned, the lyrics or logos or any of that, that they can help you um, navigate those. So, you know, no one wants to get in trouble (laughs) with anybody, right? So, um, you know, you have to be careful on how, you know, whether you use anything in a book or not, poetry, somebody else's work, you know, can you, you'd have, you know, permission, of course, to include that in a, a text,
0: so what do you do? So let's say that you've gone through all of that and you've gotten all your your permissions and everything and you have your book and now you've created something. And so now you have to, you know, protect your own intellectual property. What kinds of things do you need to think about there when you are working on licensing agreements or selling? Yeah, you have to, copy,
1: yeah, you have to copyright those books. You know, you, Um, So inside, I didn't do any of that work, by the way, they did, you know, the permissions for me, they did um, the copyrights, and they have inside, of course, the messages are all rights reserved, and uh, university has uh, trademarks and licensing agreements that are protected by the University of Nebraska, and all that's inside and that company took care of all that, the including that- the, yeah, the, including the copyrights. I didn't do any of that. I didn't apply for copyrights, you know, but they did. And, um, so if you self publish, like some people do now, um, many people do, they, um, take care of that, um, themselves, you know, for a copyright. Um, and I, don't because I haven't done it I, myself, I haven't, uh, I don't know the cost of that, but, yeah. you know, you have applied for those copyrights. And the second books, which is different because that's with a company in England. So this is called the, the next ones are um, published through a company called Blossom Spring. And um, Big City Dance was the third book I did. And like I mentioned, I had found an illustrator. And I wasn't quite sure whether I was going to do the work myself or you know, hunt down somebody else. But Brenda Higgins is her name, and I had seen her portfolio, and frankly, I don't even remember where I saw it. I think I saw her online, her um work, and she had a a style of uh kind of whimsical, you know, and I thought that was what that's what I'd written. I'd already written the text. So I thought, yeah, that looks really what I'm thinking. and then I knew that Brenda could do um people as well, so she had a very complete portfolio and we connected. Brenda uh, lives in Spain, but uh, hails from Ireland, so you know we chatted online and I had seen her website and then she said, What do you think about working with Blossom Spring and so I had um, submitted the text to her and we've given a sample of the illustrations and they took that. But inside these books, the copyright is from England or that those books, the last, the last. So that's a little bit different, but it reads um, in accordance under copyright designs and patents and by British Library cataloging and publication. And, you know, it goes on and on, but it's in the beginnings of the book. So mm-hmm. I didn't do any of those either. They did, you know, so it's protected a little bit uh, differently under that and reads a little bit differently than copyright is in the US. Yeah. But yeah.
0: So how it worked for you is that you, uh, on the front end, as the author, worked with somebody to make sure that you weren't violating anybody else's copyrights or intellectual property. And then you worked with the publisher. And then once you worked with the publishing company, they're the ones that took care of protecting the property from there. Whereas if you were self-publishing, you would just take that last step and have to make sure that you sought
1: legal advice to do that on your end. That's right. Yep. That's right. Everybody's... A little bit different, and you know, with traditional paths on um, what they call the big fives, and um, who would that be? Like uh, Penguin, Random House, or you know, the really uh, big companies. um, And they call them the big five. Right off of my top of my head, I can't name all of them. But with that said, that Many of those, if you have uh, people in your on your show that want to publish, those big, big companies require agents many times. Mm, so okay. you, you know, in order to to get into those big houses, you need an agent. So literary agents may be looking for some very unique pieces of writing. You know, it, it doesn't mean you're writing. Uh, is not good it means they may not be seeking that kind, but a lot of them um require agents, some not all you know um have what they call unsolicited submissions where you don't need an agent so again, I belong to quite a few of these groups that have uh helped me learn so much about that, and then I'm in you know ongoing classes like <laughs> continuing ed for speech pass <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's a, a lot writers, you know? right? Yeah. Well, it is. The,
0: the business side and the legal side is just, it's a whole other,
1: a whole other world and a big learning curve I found. Yeah. Right. It's true. And I just started out, I just put pen to paper one day. I thought I'll just goof around here and, you know, yeah. and then, you know, I, I don't illustrate many, uh, talented folks are able to do that, both uh, write and illustrate, and I'm uh, I'm not able to do that. So um, the other piece of working with illustrators and designers is a whole other thing as well.
0: I'm curious, when you were in your writers groups, what kinds of advice did you get for approaching publishers?
1: You know, I I started off, and because we live in the Midwest and we're relatively close to Iowa City, when I got I got past this first one, I thought I should keep trying to improve in craft. So I went to um, this writers uh, festival, Iowa Summer Writers Festival, for several years now, um, and at the pandemic. Of course, it wasn't in person anymore, but they have online. So they have a a very specific um, technique there where they, you know, you come in with pieces of work. Uh, There are a lot of writers there. They call it a workshop, you know, and if people have that uh, situation where they have groups in their own community, I haven't been able to find that here, you know, where I have a consistent group along with uh, beta readers, um, to help me with all that. So I haven't been able to find that. I I'm sure it exists somewhere, but I haven't found it. And I, um, I, so anyway, back to the workshop, they really were so, uh, very instrumental and kind at giving yeah. feedback, you know, how to improve craft. So, you know, we, that topic came up about, uh, then how might one approach, you know, you, you, Revise. You write first drafts, and you you know yourself and your own uh, mm-hmm. work on you know dissertations. How rigorous that can be. Yeah. You know, writes mm-hmm. and revisions, and you know beta readers, or you know on your own uh, academic work. How how that can go. But um, they talked about uh, different possibilities. And if you're walking in cold, and you really don't have any background knowledge, which I didn't in the very beginning. I oh. said, oh, you know, you can go to this, you can go to this. These are uh, groups that you might want to consider belonging to. And my first class in Iowa, it, a summer workshop, it was a a gal who, um, I guess she had, I think she was a Caldecott winner. It was kind of big, mm. along with her daughter, who was a, a poet laureate, taught this uh, kids group. And, you know, they were very patient with all of us, because none of us had published at the, the time. Now, I, I can't quite remember sequence of events, then. I guess I had done Husker Game Day, but um, at any rate, they were talking about different ways and um, groups that you could, you know, find, and how to go and put the next step, you know, you write the manuscript, you get a good editors, you know, it might go through multiple uh, revisions, and then you try to approach you know whichever way you want to go at the time it maybe wasn't as much self publishing going on but i just th- think it's really exploded right now you know hmm. where yeah it, it definitely yeah, has yeah it's exploded and you know um particular people that are younger than i am have such great sophistication at doing format and design and you know i don't i wasn't you know didn't grow up with that whereas you know the younger folks have had all that Opportunity to learn that, and I I know some people that are doing that uh, beautifully, but I don't think I I don't have the skill set to do that. And you know, uh, Brenda and I were laughing. We did this one called um, "Wonderful Things," and it really is um, for birth. I think that was the fourth one, but "Wonderful Things." We wanted to do something for the babies and you know, so it's real low text. And uh, she really did a beautiful job on it. But it had quite a few revisions, both on my part and hers. But um, at any rate, I I just um, have a great deal of respect for the illustrators and the designers who've helped with the covers as well. Because, you know, it just really is not Something I have the greatest eye for, and they're um they're really trained with it. You know, they oh, do you want this color? And I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, don't <know>. I have <laughs> recordist <synchronous font>. time about <laughs> the font. Beats me. <laughs> you know? yeah. I mean, there's some, right. I mean, they're the designers on the covers too. You know, what do you think about this? And I, they really opened my eyes to so many things that I haven't thought of because I was so focused on the text and. Um, you know it it just really has i've learned a lot in a, over a decade is is what i can say but it's ongoing which makes it fresh and interesting you know because you keep learning all the time
0: yeah i mean with the with the publishing if you're going to write a book for young children it's really essential that you have the illustrating down and that you have good quality visualization and all of that So really when you're thinking about approaching a publisher, there's all these other steps of that you need to you need to have your illustrator and the so you you approached an editor before you went to a publisher, and then you have to think about how you're going to pitch the publisher and approach them and talk about your book before they even read it. I mean, there's probably a process, right?
1: There is, and like when We did big city dance. I had wanted to do something uh, about movement, you know, because books are that. When I went back for early childhood curriculum, uh, Karen, I just learned so much about how best practice should be, you know, with little kids. So, uh, and I knew about how our own field with, Rhyme and rhythm and repetition can support literacy. So when I did Big City Dance, I like to dance myself. So I thought, okay, I'll just write this text about um, these mice that are dancing, and I and there's some animals in it. And I have to tell you, (laughs) after that book, and you know, again, it's done in rhyme and rhythm, and it really was another layer with rhyme and rhythm because if if you don't get it quite right it sounds clunky and weird you know with mm-hmm. rhyme and so that went through multiple revisions too you know it, it's the syllable count and all of that and then you know we talked about all the vocabulary on it that little kids may or may not know there's salsa in it and merengue which is okay you know mm-hmm. you can expose new and interesting words. And we wanted to put something in it so we could incorporate movement with little kids. So we put a dance in it at the end with power verbs. So, you know, there were all those kind of layers. And when I first did it, you know, I had written it. And then Brenda, I was already uh, had a contract drawn up with Brenda, the illustrator, after I saw her portfolio. And she was the one that said to me, hey, listen, you know, maybe you'd like to approach Blossom Spring. She would al- already had a, a relationship with them in some mm-hmm. manner. I don't know. if She did contract work, or And I thought, OK, yeah. <laughs> so um, I did. And that's how that one went. So I didn't search very hard. You know, I looked at their submission requirements. Every publisher will have submission requirements. And you can look at their website, and if you want to submit to them, they may say, you know, we'll take unsolicited submissions, which is no agent, or they'll say, you must have an agent. So, you know, if you go uh, approaching one of those companies that require an agent, then there's another step. You have to go find an agent. Mm -hmm. And those agents um, are very busy and you know, they too have very specific requirements that they may be looking for specific things that may or may not be a match with your own work. So, you know, there are, um, you know, this one wasn't so hard because Brenda had already worked with them, you know, out in, in England. Mm-hmm. So that's the way it went on this one. So, you know, I'm working on some stuff now and they've been kind and, you know, I've had uh, multiple manuscripts with Brenda we've worked on several now Um, I had a different illustrator for the first two books and Tiffany she was great too I didn't find her but you know with Brenda I I had found her so there's all different ways that it can go and um, it certainly is uh, uh, a different for everybody if you start talking and oh how'd you get that done
0: you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) well And I think leveraging those relationships too, because I think if you are approaching an agent or a publisher or somebody who, you know, you're, if they're getting a lot of submissions, they might be getting a lot of good submissions. I think it's almost like when people are looking at resumes and human resources where they could be getting a lot of qualified candidates and it's hard to sift through all of those things. And if you can get your name put to the top of the pile, or if there's some familiarity there, then that it's probably more likely that you'll get your manuscript read or that you'll get some eyes on your work and that you'll get to move on to the next step. I wanted to take a quick break here and mention something specific that you can do to advocate for your students, as well as take on a leadership role on your IEP team. If you are a related service provider, you likely have students who appear to be disengaged, not motivated, who tend to struggle to get their assignments completed both in class and with homework, and often avoid some of the most challenging tasks that they need to do in order to actually learn new skills and get more confident. So many times these issues are related to executive functioning. Oftentimes these students get labeled as lazy or defiant, but really it stems from a much deeper issue. There's a lot of anxiety there because they are not sure how to visualize the steps that they need to do in order to complete tasks. And this comes across as behavior issues, it causes issues with social relationships, and it can have a huge impact on students' self-esteem and mental health. So many times schools think that they need to do all kinds of Positive reinforcement, behavior management, talk therapy. Some of those things can be appropriate in certain situations, but if we want students to be more resilient and build their executive functioning skills, we have to actually teach them executive functioning skills. And everyone who interacts with kids on a daily basis plays a critical role in this process. That's why I've created a free executive functioning implementation guide to outline everyone's role in this process. This includes the professional's roles in the school setting, as well as what students and parents can do. So if you are a related service provider, and you want to help your team get on the right track so that you can support your caseload, definitely check out my executive functioning guide. To download that guide, you're going to want to go to drkarendudekbrandon.com backslash
1: ef schools. Well, it certainly is uh, true. It's, it's good to have really uh, nice relationships with editors, and it's uh, you know with the illustrators and the designers because you know it's makes the work a lot easier and they certainly bring it to they brought it to my attention anyway about color and you know layout and all of it i just um you know and i i have to say to them you know thanks for asking me but i must rely on your expertise because i don't know as mm-hmm. much about you know font and you know uh how this lines up, what you do want to make sure on the design. And, you know, we all looked at it, you know, editors, designers, illustrators, we all look at it hundreds of times, you know, you're almost (laughs) sick of reading it because you're reading it so much, you know, and then you get so close to it yourself. For me, you know, I couldn't see the mistakes. So you have to hire uh, good editors, you know, to to look at it again and they certainly can help elevate a work. So, you know, currently I've got something with an editor right now and it's, I don't know, it's on its fifth revision or something. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's a just, normal <laughs> yeah.
0: normal yeah, part right? of the process.
1: Yeah, it is as as you know too. So um, you know, it, you get too close to it, you can't see it yourself. And they'll they'll say this doesn't move as quickly or this isn't clear or do you think a a kindergartner would know this word, or you know this needs, and you know that's developmental at it, and then there's all the punctuation, the periods, which is another piece of it. So, you know, I, I think that what do they say? The sweet spot for picture books is under a thousand, and ideally, uh, less is more. You know, maybe seven hundred and fifty words. So you're mm, packing a lot of story you know, I, I've heard read different things, you know, it's, you know, they're talking about how they're becoming shorter now picture book manuscripts, but, um, you know, how to pack in a story in not many words. So, you know, it's too long here, cut this word. <laughs> this is oh, why clear. is it?
0: I wonder why it's getting shorter, and if that's a good thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, You know, and I, I think, I just got some feedback today and um, she said, we don't, we don't need this. I don't think. And at the beginning, I'm like, and it's, it's hard for me sometimes to think about setting up the scene, you know, how much, you know, and I know, that I know the illustrators can do that through the pictures, you know, maybe I don't need that to say so much mm-hmm. with, if they can relay it through the pictures. So, you know, I, I, it is a, a beautiful gift to be able to draw and write yourself. But I thought, oh, don't, shouldn't I give more detail there to set the scene, you know? But, uh, you know, I'll let it sit. And when I get feedback from an editor, I really let it sit two or three days until I tackle it again. Because I sort of have to noodle about what she said to me, you know? And uh, yeah. But, yeah, I, I'm not sure, you know, I mean, do we think attention spans are getting (laughs) short. Yeah, that's kind of where I was
0: going. Um, So I wanted to I had just a couple questions or points of clarity. And so beta readers, obviously, so that would be more it's test readers, so more of a test audience reader. And then the editor Uh is a professional who has trained experience in editing. How often do those editors of children's books? I mean, do they have a marketing background and they know market trends? Do they have background in child development? How do they know what to tell you? How do they know how to
1: advise you? I'm going to say this because anybody um, that's seeking an editor for the first time, I've learned some things through trial and error here. You know, like I've gone with a company now, which I really like, and I've had several uh, picture book editors, which they've all had uh, come to, you know, they all have their own skill set, but when somebody says to me, "I love children's picture books," you know, and I they say that word, you know, I had somebody else, but I think middle grade was really her love affair, you know, and I probably should maybe not have sent it to her because, you know, she had ideas and that was great, but I think middle grade was her um, really uh, love affair, so. This this current editor I've had, and there's a company that I've gone with, and you can get two or three quotes and look at editors' backgrounds, mm-hmm. and that's been uh, particularly helpful. But in answer to your question, this uh, current one has had years of experience with picture books, you know, and I think she has um, worked with a a major publishing company, and you know, I could read her bio on her background. And, you know, you can get different quotes from them. But it took me a while to find this place. But they gave me, um, you know, what do you want? Do you want just a developmental edit? Or do you want uh, proofreading? And proofreading is really, you know, later down the road, it's just the the periods, but it wasn't what I wanted. So I, you know, I looked at two or three of them and their backgrounds. And um, some of them have um mFAs, okay um, you know, degrees in fiction writing. and uh, I think hers hers might be that, but also the years of experience working with with a major publishing house,
0: yeah, there's a lot of things to think about there because there's you know, they have to think about what is going to sell and what pe what do people want. but I think that You know, we as clinicians, we're thinking ethically and, you know, what's evidence based. And yes, obviously, picture books are great for kids, but we also want them to learn to look at the print symbols and we want to expand their vocabulary. And so we come from a different mindset. It's that that's just really interesting how I'm sure that they start to learn a lot of that on the job, just like you might be learning on the job some of the things that that she knows or, or that they know as far as the
1: publishing world. It's just, it's interesting. A it lot is. of questions to ask. It is. And, you know, it's the creative side, you know, where I think for us, you know, especially if we spend a lot of time in the schools that, you know, we have been around those school book fairs, you know, and know what the kids are being attracted to it, you know, and all of that. And those educational publishers may be different than, you know, more, more than the literary piece, you know, they're yeah. beautiful, all the beautiful pictures and all the themes and motifs. But for kids that are uh, struggling readers, and that's where I'm coming from, you know, I'm mm-hmm. thinking, You know, that's why it started out that way for me with the Mm -hmm. late talkers. I would, when I'd go into sessions, as I know many of us do, you know, we want to select texts that elicit certain things and that Mm -hmm. we can use those strategies in our own clinical backgrounds, right, that we know certain books will do that. And then I I added, you know, (laughs) rhyme and rhythm because I know it benefits Mm -hmm. kids, right? And I wanted to make it funny and I wanted to, to get up and move. And I wanted to bring in verbs that I thought they'd know. And um, you know, um pair the actions. And and so, yes, clinical versus the the creative, and you know, there's nothing wrong with those beautiful literary books, but I probably am I'm not writing like that myself, you know. So yeah. then you to find the matchup of who. The editor is and who might be a good fit with the work and then the publisher who might be a good fit with the work. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, it certainly is um, a lot to learn.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> if you perfect. don't know how to do, handle the marketing piece and the creative piece and how to tell an engaging story, people aren't going to read your book. They're not going to buy it. So the benefit of your clinical knowledge doesn't ever really get into the hands of people who need it. I mean, I think that that's, we need people who can help us learn those skills. And we need to take ownership, ownership of that as a profession to just make sure that we can use our skills. So we've kind of talked through, we've got, we talked through your, the initial process. So let's say that we're, we're at the stage where we've got the book published. Now we're at the stage where we want to sell the book. What
1: kinds of things did you learn at that phase i i I might do some things differently really, with that. I'm not sure. Would I hire a publicist i I don't know. You know, for the next one, I'm not quite sure. but now, this year, particularly um since the pandemic i I had a book come out last year the This big city dance is one in. 3 it's the first one of a three book series with the same characters so the last one came out last year so i've you know got it on amazon you um the announcement came out from blossom that it was coming it was coming you know i had some following from uh the previous ones and then you know i am now, in some groups, marketing groups, you know, mm-hmm. how to market these things. If I had it to do over again, i I'd probably do some things differently. I've purchased some ads on a company that sends out to educators and libraries. now i I, I also have a a group that um, it's a student led initiative. It's called Babies with Books, and mm-hmm. they have, Uh, you know, um, a -a readathon with all these hospitals. And it's, you know, I've become acquainted with them for wonderful things where, you know, I've done some book giveaways, we periodically do book giveaways. I've done um, some podcasts with some people to get the word out there. Um, So there's ads, there's podcasts, there's interviews, there's local papers, you know, you might want to approach your own libraries, um, you know, practices and it's the marketing really, I find is, um, well, it's rigorous, you know, yeah. it's, is ongoing. Ongoing. Mm-hmm. it's ongoing and it's, it's, um, you know, rigorous. So I, I really think, um, you know, there's, uh, targeted marketing that can help, you know, I, I and I just keep, you know, talking about the books, you know, mm-hmm. when I <laughs> meet yeah. people, I go to workshops and, you know, and then, and, and, but I do love the writing. So it's not like I stop, you know, I'm, you know, I, I keep marketing, but I've got two and three manuscripts on the burner right now, you know, mm-hmm. So for me, people have asked me that for me, the writing is joyful. It's not drudgery, you know, it's, it's fun for me. And, I do not only picture books, but I'm dabbling in what flash fiction. And I don't know if, do you know about National Novel Writing Month? Do you know this term NaNoWriMo at all? I'm not familiar with that. Well, I started a novel. It's been on my on um, radar to do it. I, I love the picture books, but I just thought, you know, shoot, I'll just try it this year. Yeah, I, I, you know? <laughs> yeah it's, uh, you know, and I'm crazy about fiction, so you know, I've always liked to read myself and, and the, the goal there, you don't have to do it. it nobody's, you know, standing over and you must must write every day, you know, but the goal on that national novel writing month is uh, 50,000 words in the month of November. So I. That's <laughs> doable. I mean, you it, really had some. Yeah, you, you know, watch. I, I didn't get it done, but um, you know, and I, and I didn't get it done because I think for me, I'm a planner, you know, I should have outlined and planned it out like six months. You know, the other people, they call themselves, you know, I'm just going to write it. I'm going to be a pantser, fly by the seat of my pants and just write Mm -hmm. it. I don't know how people do that. that. I I don't know how people do that. I, I even have characters in my head before I start writing the 750 or less, you know, children's manuscript. I start with characters is what I do. You know, I don't know. If other people do something quite different, they might have a story in their head. But usually I start with characters and then move on out. Except I learned that later for Husker Game Day. It was just the event of a game day. Mm -hmm. You know, I went through that. And then the nonfiction with the series book. But I've sort of changed it now. I really start with the characters. And um, anyway, I I don't know how, um, you know, I've heard somebody say that, I'm just gonna market this book, but it's it's not how that goes for me. I just keep writing them, you know. I just bang out a manuscript and I, I never stop. So it's the marketing is ongoing and the marketing is probably always gonna be in there. I'm on Goodreads, people can follow people on Goodreads, and um, you know, I'm on Amazon, people can, you know, look at it there, and I'm in, you know, some groups, LinkedIn, and you know, I've got the website, and you try all these different things on the marketing. You just keep going on all of that and learn some new things through the individuals that uh, surround you in all these different groups. Yeah.
0: And they help you through where do you actually put your book? Like, do you put it, is it at at Barnes and Noble? Is it at um, Amazon or where to
1: actually go to purchase your book? That's right. And you know, on that, somebody told me once in that first one, Husker game day, they'd seen it at Costco once, and I'm like, huh.
0: <laughs> you know, well, does I, the publishing company take care of some of that if you do work with a publisher?
1: Yeah, they do. You know, but they uh, and most of them, you know, have, uh, you know, they want the authors, of course, to be involved with the marketing as well. Well, yeah, know? yeah, yeah. They they are going to say, oh, your job's done. You know, they they want um you to be involved. So there's a Speech Path Group, and maybe some of your listeners know it already. Let's see if I get the name right. It's Speech Passed by Day, Authors by Night. Hmm, I and don't so know that one. Yeah, Speech Passed by Day, Authors by Night, and they're uh, a face. You know, they're on social media, Facebook, and so I've become acquainted with several of them. And of course, you know, um, we're talking about getting together and uh, doing a summit soon and you know about all these things passed to publishing so you know everybody says the same thing about the marketing that it becomes you know what are you doing Um, I'm doing this how about you and you know it just is uh, it it's whatever whether you like it or not it's part of the package so
0: that's been my experience with um, doing online professional development as well That. You think oh it's going to be about the course and the and the mentoring and I end up spending a lot of time on the marketing piece of just you know spreading the word and getting more people in that the writing process once it's done it's it's there and
1: then a lot of it goes to spreading the word about what you have right it's true and you know there is a lot of it by word of mouth you mm-hmm. know it It is, and you know i'm and certainly, you know, I would like out of this group for us to support one another and learn from each other and um you know that's what we're hoping to do and I've made some very nice contacts there, and you know we all talk about it do you do you want to do do you want to generate more work by having to do a, a a newsletter or you know we talk about it, but I've also taken courses now with some. Um, marketing people that have given me I, again another lens through the the business side of it because you know the creative piece is joyful and it's fun and you know all of that but it's uh, the reality if you want to increase a, a revenue stream through uh, writing or a, a side hustle or whatever mm-hmm. one calls it you know it, it remains part of the package that you have to market the books.
0: Well, and I can just say from my own experience that you can use that same creative process in your marketing because all you're doing is you there's writing, there's storytelling. I mean, I'm writing marketing emails and, or people are writing social media posts or, you know, podcast interviews. There's all sorts of different yeah. formats that you can use to spread awareness of your actual paid products that you offer. So you can still take that creative process and use it in your marketing. It doesn't have to necessarily
1: stop with the the actual, you know, publishing of your book. It's true. That is true. And, you know, things, you know, and how about the, the media piece? It's just, um, oh yeah. Right. It's just so much learning on that too. And reels and, all uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's a lot it's a lot TikTok, to keep up with right tiktok and uh yeah you know. that's
0: reels and tiktok are the the big ones and youtube shorts apparently i haven't i haven't gotten into that one yet but i've been i've been looking into tiktok and reels i, know. I haven't quite got into the trending sounds i hear from a couple marketing experts that it's you don't necessarily have to dance around to pop music and point at the <laughs> the words on your screen. All I do when I do TikToks and Reels is I just talk about something for two or three minutes and stick it on there. I'm not yeah, dancing I around
1: <laughs> now, right? And I there's a certain um, I I don't know. You know, I mean, you have to find your own comfort level. I'm I'm yeah. working my way up there. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
0: I don't know. I I um I do think that some things are just trending. It is good to get on a trend if you can grow a following. And I think for authors, TikTok definitely has some potential because of the way that the platform is right now. You can get a lot of eyes on your stuff From just views and not necessarily followers and it's short and it's visual. So if you have a picture book, that is something that's really easy to demonstrate on a platform like TikTok
1: or Instagram or, well, honestly, even Facebook. (laughs) So anything that has video. Yes, yes, it's true. But, you know, and all of it is, um, yeah, takes time. All of it takes time, you know, and how to carve out that time. And I just, you know, what I learned from that whole experience in November, that National Novel Writing Month, you know, and, and I want to finish it, you know, I do, Um, that it really is power in practice, you know, you just oh, yeah, for right, sure. sit down and do it, you know, mm-hmm. even, if, and I, I started I was a little crazy with the word count when I first started, and then I thought, you know what, I'm just going to, Sit down and write, and if it feels like a natural stopping point, then I I wrote. You know, mm-hmm. I wrote for the day, so um, I I just didn't go crazy with it. And I thought, well, I did it. I wrote something every day. I didn't finish a novel, but yeah, that's okay. I did yeah. it. I so, think that showing up to do the practice is part of this part of the process. <laughs> I, and then I I think um, when people ask you know because a lot of people it's funny because when I did clinical supervision I just uh, learned so much from the students as well and they would say what if I don't like this field what if I don't want to do it forever and I said well I said you know there are other things that one can do to you know, balance it out. If you think you want to change in setting, you could do that. Or if you think you want to publish, you could do that. So, or if you think you want to do product development or you think you want to go with a company to sell, I think there are things that one can step away from that. But I think that you can um, always use those skills that you're learning now. It's never lost and that you can extend it, you know, into whatever that might be. Uh Yeah, I think with a field like a speech pathology or any of the other
0: clinical fields, you know, social work, psychology, counseling, all of that, you have a very specific job in mind, even though there's a broad, there's, you know, a broad scope with all of those things. And with other fields like marketing, communications, it's more of an expectation that there's this broad way that you're going to apply those skills and you're going to learn it on the job just because, that's the nature of the field and so you know you think why can't we think about our skills in the same way as those other fields even though we do have something very specific we
1: can do with our degree that's right I, I agree with that wholeheartedly so this look is, oh sorry go ahead <laughs> look at you you've done all these interesting things
0: yeah you know and I'm, I'm venturing out into some other other directions currently there's uh <laughs> i'll have more updates on that probably in the coming months but yeah um i don't know i think i just you know what some people i think some people do get into a job and it's really their sweet spot and they like to stay there but then some people like to do something for you know 5 years and then move on to the next thing or even just a couple of years and in the corporate world that's just what you do it's pretty common to move around from one department to another and we don't see that as much in clinical fields. And it's just, it's really interesting how we we think of it as, you know, I don't know, almost a bad thing or thing that people don't do. And, and you know, I think why not? You know, maybe it's okay to switch around and see what you like and just get different experiences
1: to find sure. out what what works for you. I think so too. I uh, I would agree with that. So, this is a good place to
0: wrap up. Where can people go to learn more about uh, how to connect with you or some of the resources that you've mentioned so far in this yeah. interview?
1: Yeah. Um, the books are on Amazon. You can uh, visit uh, Valerie Doherty, author.com. That's the website. And um, the. I'm on Goodreads. You can find LinkedIn. I'm over there. Although I I do post a lot on Facebook too because, you know, people are interested in in the process. Some of the things that we've talked about now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I think that's pretty much on the social media piece. Um, I said Goodreads, right? Yeah, you yeah, and we can link to all these there. things. I yeah, and you can, you know, leave reviews. Occasionally the good news is we give book giveaways um sometimes. I just had one. But you know, we we talk about that on I, I talk about things quite a bit on uh Facebook. Uh, I don't post every day, but frequently I do. Yeah. And on the website and um you know, things are always coming up and I I we are planning this and I'll I'll mention it. I don't have all the details to give you today uh karen but we are going to do that summit and Mm -hmm. you know if listeners are interested you know there are a lot of speech paths and i've uh, become acquainted with them simply by um you know joining that group or that speech pass by day authors by night and And i can link to that too yeah and a lot of those individuals it's not what i did but some of those and we're going to do this summit with uh a diving deeply into this uh, this content about here, about my path certainly isn't the same as others. Some of those yeah. have done Kickstarters, some are traditionally published. We're going to try to get, uh, you know, an array of people on that so they can just speak to that, you mm-hmm. know, and things that they've experienced, um, which have been certainly different than mine and why they started to write and you know, um, what they're doing now and how maybe we can support each other. But we're we're planning that in the spring and I can get back to that and I'll post it as well. But I so appreciate this time with you. This has been great. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing this. And so for the summit, it's for people who are interested in
0: publishing all kinds of different speakers on the subject, and they can go learn about that in the Uh, The Facebook group that we'll link to and if you do have a specific link to that summit once you know the details I can always update the show notes after the fact but yeah this is this has been great and thank you so
1: much for being here with me today yeah well thank you for having me it's just been grand and uh delightful to talk to you thank you
0: Before I wrap up this episode, I wanted to remind you to check the show notes for all of the links to the resources that were mentioned in this interview, including some of the organizations that you can go to for help with the publishing process and the Facebook group that was mentioned. There is going to be a summit for publishers in the spring of 2023. And so if you are interested in the publishing world, I highly recommend joining that Facebook group. And I do believe that this is an event that happens a couple times a year. So if you were to listen to this episode after the spring of 2023, then it's still definitely worth getting in that group and seeing what kind of resources they're sharing. Also, don't forget to check out the Executive Functioning Implementation Guide that I mentioned several times in this episode. If you are a related service provider and you want to know how you can support your students' mental health and help them to learn the skills that they need to be resilient and adaptable, especially if you have students who are bright and capable, but are being labeled as lazy or procrastinators or defiant, and you know that they're capable of much more. Definitely check out that implementation guide. It can be helpful, not just for those students, but for all of the students in the student body. So to check out that guide, you're going to want to go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash schools. I also wanted to mention that I am always looking for amazing guests who are showing some form of leadership when it comes to supporting kids, whether it be in a clinical role or whether it be in their community. So if you have a great idea for a guest, or if you would like to be a guest on this show, please email me at talktome at And if you would like me to be a guest on your show or if you would like me to present to your organization, you can email me at talkto.me@drcarenspeech.com at as well. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you in the next episode.